I think it was important to just leave it a little bit, right? Amazing cover. Amazing cover. It's the 20th of June. I hope you guys can hear me because uh, I forgot my headphone jack. So I'm kind of just um, doing it like this. I had some unexpected things come up. Um, and I had some adventures for the past 24 hours, but... Good adventures, I guess. Memories, adventures, per se. Today we're going to talk a lot about, well, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but mostly to understand what we have been talking about for the past few years. You know, when I, when I mentioned the food shortages and the hand and foot disease for the cows, I wasn't just, you know, saying it. I was pointing to one factor hopefully to get the most radical factor, which was a fear that everyone had, which was this COVID thing, to get people thinking. In every single dictatorship, control is necessary. And the only way to control the masses is to control their ability to survive. And we're seeing that happen right now. We are legit seeing this happen right now. Not only that, we're seeing that they're trying really, really hard to stop what is coming. And they can't. No matter how they try, it's not going to stop. Um, they even passed a new law that Biden signed in, into law, actually, about your kids. And I did say they were coming for your children. And a lot of people didn't see this coming. So... Where do we start? Should we talk 
about this bill uh, that was signed into law. And specifically, it is a bill. uh, Let me read the exact title for you. Give me a moment. By the way, New Jersey, you better start getting cracking with it because it's coming from your camp. Oh, my gosh. Where is it? There it is. It is a bill to protect children from national disasters. Wait, what? Natural disasters. And you heard me. A bill to protect children from national disasters. Oh, get this. That are natural, but are also man-made. And research has been done by the WHO and the European Union in 2020 um, supporting this bill that um, Representative Payne Jr., who, by the way, took the seat of his dad, right, because his dad passed, like, left after being in Congress for so many years, and now he's in Congress for his daddy. So this bill was actually signed. And um, it's a new law that pretty much um, takes all power away from you in um, lieu of an emergency or a natural natural or man-made disaster. Um, He says that thousands of children, man, it always comes back to these kids, doesn't it? Lose their parents, face food insecurity, become homeless after floods, hurricanes, and extreme weather catastrophes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With disasters, whether natural or man-made on the rise, we must continue to do more to ensure the well-being and safety of our nation's most vulnerable, particularly children. This is where they come. And the feedback is from organizations where it directs FEMA to identify and integrate the needs of children into all emergency preparation, protection, response, and recovery activities dealing with natural and man-made disasters as well as terrorist actions. So there's a new position, a child technical expert that's within FEMA to guarantee that the needs of children are addressed and considered doing, during these agency activities. Now, this is, uh, this is pretty scary. This is pretty scary considering that now FEMA has a child task force. So if you are, for example, considered a biological threat, or um, maybe you've been labeled as a domestic terrorist, or you're not sending your kid to school, or your kid does not abide by CRT, well then, FEMA will step in. And this was actually signed into off, into by Biden as law. And remember, this is Representative Payne His dad was in Congress from 89 until freaking whenever, like 100 years. And now his son, what is this, like a nepotism thing, like a legacy thing from uh, Newark, New Jersey? New Jersey, you better start getting those signatures and remove this guy. He's leading the way and no one's paying attention because it'll be racist if you go after him. I think it's important that you understand how crazy this is because there was uh, an assembly that's going on right now, right now, from the 19th to the 21st, and it's called the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, which is the world's largest humanitarian network. Now, disaster law and child protection is one of their topics. 
dated for the 30th of June, 2020, this document, right? Now they're having their meeting with this document. Um, it says, as climate change is leading to more frequent disasters, children face many risks. These include separation from their families, psychological distress, trafficking, missing school, premature adoption, losing essential documents, and not participating in decisions for themselves. So what they have to do is ensure that relevant ministries uh, like um, the Lutheran Social Services, Lutheran Churches, and agencies are mandated to have in place contingency plans fully covering child protection, include child protection and relevant laws, regulations, and policies in disaster risk management. Mandate, listen carefully, mandate the collection and analysis of age, gender, and disability disaggregated data as part of risk assessments and relevant processes. Your kids are on the system. Anyone born after the year 2000 is on the system, regardless. And this, uh, how do we call it? The International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies is leading the charge on this. They're the ones that lobbied for this. And you should see, let me see if I can pull this up nicely. You should see their meeting agendas. If you guys have something that you want to do today, you should go and see what they are up to today and what they're talking about today. These Red Cross and Red Crescent societies, Red Cross and Red Crescent societies. So today I wanted to talk about plants and all this stuff, oh, but I'm not home, so um, I can't. Um, I'm far, far away. In fact, yep, I'm far, far away. Let's just leave it that way. So uh, I want to bring this to your attention because it is something that you need to be aware of and more so to pretty much motivate our New Jersey group and whatever support they may need to help us, um, you know, get rid of pain. Now, speaking of pain, <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about pain. Um, I wanted to show you guys, let's talk about cars because we're going to talk about the pain of the people for a second. Then we'll talk about their pain. But we're going to talk about the pain of the people. Now, as you guys know, I have a teeny and looking to get a car, right? Got one. Thank God. But I was looking at this company when I was shopping around. Good thing. God, God is great. Because <laughs> insurance rates are insane for kids, right? Get this. I pay $80 a month for my car insurance. That's everything. Fully comp, never had an accident except for that time they rear-ended me. To add Phoebe on as a learner, I need to pay $18.99 every six months to have the same coverages. Like what? Like who can afford that? Who can afford that? Okay. I will pull the drapes. Yes, I will pull the drapes. 
let me show you this clip. Super importante. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this um, investigative piece that was done by a news channel. But I'm going to tell you why it's important. And this, you didn't see this one coming. Outback with all-wheel drive. Derek, Derek Munhank thought he hit the jackpot. After a few clicks online, he bought it for $13,000 from Carvana, which delivered it to his door. It's a you know, nice car. I've been you know, wanting one since I was about in high school. That's one of the reasons he's so upset. He paid in full for this Subaru 11 months ago, but he still doesn't own it because Carvana has never given him the title. Under Missouri law, that's illegal. Instead of a title, Carvana keeps giving him new temp tags from states he doesn't live in, like Arizona and Indiana. Missouri says that's also illegal. So where's the title? just dance around the subject and never give me a legit answer. And they always give me false or misleading information on documents that I could use instead of the title. Carvana had the nerve to tell Derek to take the title application to the DMV and try to register the car with that instead of the actual title. Well, that didn't work. I told the lady I bought a car from Carvana and she chuckled at me. That's because Derek's not alone. Fox 4 problem solvers discovered hundreds of customers across the country are having the exact same problem. And states are cracking down. North Carolina's attorney general temporarily suspended Carvana from selling cars in Durham after failing to deliver a title. Carvana is also on probation in Michigan. And Florida has threatened to pull the company's license if it doesn't clean up its act. Fox 4 Problem Solvers was determined to get Derek his title. First, we paid a visit to Carvana's multi-story car vending machine off Southwest Boulevard. But the doors are locked. You have to call and leave a message to talk to anyone. We finally reached a woman named Audrey and explained the problem. You know, you can't drive a car if you can't register it. And you can't register it without a title. So, And he technically doesn't even own this car unless he has that title. Under Missouri law, titles are supposed to be handed over the day of the sale. But Audrey told us that Carvana operates under a special rule called 5830, which gives it more time. Well, we read 5830. It gives Carvana exactly a month to hand over the title or give Derek his money back. And remember, Derek's been waiting 11 months. Where is law enforcement? This Missouri AG, Kansas AG get rolling on this. This is your job. People buy cars and can't get titles. Kansas City attorney Bernard Brown says what happened to Derek is inexcusable and needs to be investigated. He says without a title, Derek could be arrested for even driving this car. You want to see a bad interaction with the police? That could be exactly where it would start. That, that, that's, it's a very much against the law to operate that car. Bernard Brown isn't the only consumer lawyer paying attention. In Pennsylvania, attorney Robert Coco is suing Carvana in both Pennsylvania and Arkansas. He's heard from dozens of angry customers. I would say at this point, probably 40 or more people. All with similar experiences. Indicates that it is a problem that's, <laughs> that is out of control. In a court filing, Carvana denies that it has repeatedly violated state law and defrauded customers. As far as Derek's predicament, Carvana didn't answer any of our questions about why it sold him a car without a title. Instead, we received this two-sentence response. 
Thank you for your patience. We are committed to ensuring the customer's needs are met and the issue has been resolved. Best, Veronica Cardenas, Senior Specialist, Public Relations. That day, Derek received this in the mail. There it is. The title. Voila. Only took 11 months. If you've had a problem with Carvana, I encourage you to contact the Attorney General in your state and file a complaint. Linda Wager, Fox 4 Problems. Alrighty then. Hold on a second, guys. So you're supposed to be able to contact your Attorney General and the Consumer Division now our inbox has- should be on top of it, right? But I'm going to show you why the Attorney Generals haven't done anything. Because whenever you buy something and as a consumer... You know, you feel like you've been defrauded. It's not what it says. They're doing business in your state. You get with the Attorney General Consumer Division and they will fix it for you. But I'm going to show you (laughs) why. um, Hold on. Let me pull it up. I need to pull up Carvana's page. I'm pretty sure I have it here. There we go. So I'm going to show you why. And you're going to be gobsmacked. So... Oops, there we go. Sorry, guys. I like forgot to bring a bunch of stuff with me coming here. All right, so as you can see, this is Carvana's website, right? And we're going to go back to where their management and directors are. And we're going to see all these pretty names. But I'm going to take you down to the board of directors. As you can see, it's former Mr. Dan Quayle, right? He's congressman, senator, right? 44th vice president of the United States. He's in there. But wait, he's the chairman of Cerberus Global Investments. That's part of BlackRock. That's number one. Whoa, look at that. BlackRock, right? Wait. Now let me take you not to the... There we go, this guy. Guess what he did? Well, this guy was the portfolio manager for the Rosemont TLF Opportunity Fund. Now, tell me where you've seen that before. Tell me where you've seen that before. The Rosemont thing. Where have you seen that before? Hmm? There you go. So Rosemont TLF Opportunity Fund, just so you guys know, was a bailout that um, Hunter Biden actually got while his daddy was vice president. $130 million in a federal bailout loans that were done when Joe Biden was in office, right? It's actually, you know, TALF is is short for Term Asset Backed Securities Loan Facility. So Rosemont Capital, um, which was the investment firm uh, that was like the top of all the companies he had, um, he was approved to participate in this federal loan program. This is where we need to start asking questions. While his daddy was in office, right, he got millions of dollars of federal tax dollars um, and what it was like 13.4 million to invest in this and that. So it was 130 total. And this guy that sits at Carvana managed his fund, managed his fund. So Biden, Hines and Archer incorporated Rosemont Seneca Partners in Delaware on June 25th, 2009. 
and the alternative investment and market advisory firm was an offshoot of Rosemont Capital, which held 50% in that new venture. Now, Rosemont uh, TELF, the Opportunity Fund, was done for that. And this guy here was running it. So we've got BlackRock in here. Dan Quayle is part of it. Cerberus, at the head of that, which is one guy that I subpoenaed in one of my previous lawsuits, um, Brinkley, right? He um, is the head of Cerberus. And Dan Quayle, as you can see, is <laughs> chairman. He has served since 2001. He's been in there forever. And then we have Ira Platt, who ran the Rosemont Talf Opportunity Fund. So weird. So weird. So now we see why the attorney generals don't go into Carvana and they get away with either selling salvage cars or predatory lending. And this is why I'll say predatory lending. So as I said, I was looking to get my daughter a car. And um, I had gone to Carvana, Carvana to find a nice used car that had low mileage or something, right? I went to other dealerships. And like I said, I don't have a bad credit score, but I can't seem to get, I think I've been blacklisted. Like I can't get a loan or anything. And um, because I don't have bad credit. And they were going to give me a loan. But guess what the interest rate was? I want you to take a wild freaking guess. Wild guess of what they pre-approved me for. It was something like 17% when you do all the math. And I was like, are you kidding me? So not only do they do predatory lending, but they're not giving people their titles and they're misrepresenting. Yeah, 20, yeah, it's, it's, it was like 17%. That's not including the other percentages of whatever, whatever. So I just wanted to say it all pings back to Joe Biden and this scheme. This is how well, you know, connected all of these people are and how they cover for each other. So as you could see, like I said, this guy ran this fund. We should start asking this guy questions about that fund and how he managed it, how he got paid for it. You know, what did Hunter Biden do with all that money in those tons of companies that he ran? It's quite fascinating if you ask me. Um, the Rosemont Talf Opportunities Fund was actually um, based out of Pittsburgh, uh, it has a uh, Form D notice. It is out of the Dominion Tower in Pittsburgh, just so you know. And um, it filed for the first time when it got the loan, of course, um, in uh, July of 2009. And it was a pooled investment fund that got the bailout. There's nothing else on that, just so you know. Um there were no insider transactions that were um, noted considering, you know, what? Uh, the people that were on there as executive officers, listen to this, are Christopher Hines, Devin Dodson Archer, right? 
Daniel Burrell and Daniel Senor. These are questions that let me show it to you. I'm not just saying it. This is how you find out the truth by actually looking at things that you think are nothing burger when it turns out it's the biggest burger there is. This will tell you everything. But see, unfortunately, the media will never tell you the truth. And I wonder if Devin Archer was actually put in on this. Check this out. Here is the page for the investment fund, right? TALF Opportunities. Funny thing is that guy was running the fund, but I don't see him here. But I see this guy here, nice name, and Daniel Senor, Senor Daniel, Devin Dodson Archer, and Chris Hines. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Look at that. We just found out. Wait, how much? Ooh, 100 million. Wow. And they sold 6 million. And they got how much money from the loan? They had 93.900 whatever in 2009. I want you guys to be paying attention to how corrupt these people really are. Here's where they were. Dominion Tower. That's another rabbit hole. That's a time. That's a story for another time. Now, this is just to kind of shine the light because I know a lot of people talk about Hunter Biden's laptop like and, you know, for years now I've been saying like this is so stupid when I see people talking about crack, cocaine and hookers. Right. Yeah. It's fun to poke fun at a drug addict and an abused person that is completely insane and immoral because they were raised like that. But on the other hand, we're missing out on the actual schemes, you know, like how Louis Freeze was like, yo, I got to tell your dad, he's going to make a shit ton of money. He should communicate with me. These are emails people should be talking about. They should be talking about things like this, where they got federal tax dollars because his daddy was vice president. It's always about the money, isn't it? It's always about the money. <clears throat> and no one focuses on that. Instead, they're focused on the stupid shit, like hookers, right? That's it, like hookers. Rather than say, oh, you know what? Damn, these people have been fleecing us everywhere. I want you to take a look and see how many, you know, unfortunately, we don't have Malia's laptop. Just saying, you'd be surprised. See, if Devin Archer and Hines weren't, court, weren't associated as business partners with Hunter, you probably wouldn't have never known about this. You would have never known that they're involved in the Carvana scam. So people in the state of Missouri, your attorney generals, you need to ask them why they won't go after BlackRock or Cerberus, right? And Hunter Biden's partners who are the board of directors. Those are the questions you should be asking. So they get a pass, but this little business in our state gets hammered, but they get a pass. Hmm. Interesting. Fascinating. See, this is where people need to pool themselves. I need to see if I can find all these people that are complainants. Find the ones that are willing to sue. You'll be surprised what can come out.
from just the Carvana suit. You'll be surprised. See, we talk about the art, right? But there's other ways that you can launder money, property, tangible property like uh, vehicles. So I thought I would break that to you because no one's going to tell you that. Oh, we ain't seen it on a Hunter Biden laptop. Well, there's the evidence. Just made a video. It's all public. This is Carvana Gate. Again, Carvana, circling back to the Bidens. Circling back to the fact that he in 2009, he got a federal loan, right? Fixed term asset loan, right? From the federal government when he wasn't qualified to because he had just created his company and he still got millions of dollars. Did he pay that back? Where is that? Did his dad just erase it, white it out maybe? See, those are the questions we should be asking because this is how you get people on the record. It could all be hearsay. Hearsay. Here's paper trail. Where the fuck is the loan? He took federal tax dollars. Show me the money. Did he pay it back? How did that work? Who deleted it? How much you want to make a bet? I mean, I'd be willing to bet that loan was never paid back and it was nicely erased. Taking bets. You should look into that if you have time. I don't right now because I'm kind of excited for this week. A lot of people are excited, but I'm keeping it tight lip. Now, let's shift a few gears. We're going to talk about random things today that are always not so random. I want to introduce you to someone that I admire really great. So, you know, when I was uh, a kid, before I joined the U.S. Navy, um, I was working with the embassy overseas, um, you know, just you want to say consultant? I mean, I had a job like I would go uh, I would go there and I would work with a lot of people um, that were um, dressed like this. Like this. So, you know, (sighs) Jag was fascinating because they would always be present you know, in all dealings, considering foreign policy uh, at the embassies. Uh, They would advise the attaches and uh, whatnot. And so, um, you know, my role wasn't significant at all. Mine was um, playing out scenarios based on variables provided. How's that? If that helps game theory, I guess. But to me, it was more like, oh, let's see what you got, you know, until you can join, right? (laughs) That's what they were doing. Um, So I would meet with them either at the embassy or at an annex, and we would go over strategies. I would sit and play with them for a week or so, and then we'd reconvene, and I'd give them all the scenarios of how things would outcome based on these fictional, you know, Things. Now, the reason I really liked um, the the JAG division just in general throughout my whole life 
is because they were always the strongest in the sense that they always had a rigid core. And this is why uh, in 2020, I reported to you how alarming it was that um, Building 7 report came out in March on March 25th, 2020 from the University of Alaska. And um, another judge was resigned from Guantanamo Bay. So uh, this judge was resigned, but we have new judges and most of them come from Jack. I want to introduce you to some stellar people. Take a listen. With the JAG Communities Leadership Triad, I'm Patty Babb, the Public Affairs Officer for the JAG Community. I'm joined today by Vice Admiral John Hannock, our new Judge Advocate General, Master Chief John Dell Ritchie, our Command Master Chief, and Rear Admiral Del Crandall, our new Deputy Crandall Judge Advocate awesome. General. Crandall, I'll start with you, Admiral Crandall. What are three to five things that you want to focus on in the next three years? So immediately I think about my first year uh, and my number one priority is getting to know the community. Uh, and I started that last week with my trip to Japan. Another thing that's right at the forefront is Military Justice Act 2016, both training and implementation of MJA 2016. I think longer term, I'm looking at uh, better understanding the gapped billets across Naval Legal Service Command and working to reduce that number of gapped billets we have across NILSC. In addition, I think we need to stay focused on facilities, including uh, security improvements that are needed across the community. I know when I first got to the AJAG 06 job four years ago, I walked through Building 33 and realized that the head facilities and the kitchen facilities weren't up to the quality that we should be expect in uh, a 21st century legal firm. And I started working with Don Rooney and David DeRosa then to see what we could do about updating those facilities. And four years later, I walked back in as the DJAG and Commander Naval Legal Service Command, and we're just now seeing those head facilities being renovated. Uh, so my message to the community is it takes a long time uh, but it's incumbent on all of us as leaders to work to improve our facilities, even if we may not be the ones who see the benefits in the end. So I think that's an important focus. We can never let up on that. And then lastly, I've kind of got this catch-all category of honing our basic skills and uh, improving our legal practice wherever we can. And I think in that basket, I, I see things such as uh, changes to the FTJA program. We're shifting to a a schedule of six months, six months, 12 months, so that their either trial or defense practice will be a 12-month block. Um, LN utilization, it's something I know it's near and dear to Master Chief's heart and that I talked to the teams out in Japan about. Training of civilians, I'm really excited about the changes I've seen with JCAB taking over a lot of the hiring process to provide some bandwidth to Code 66 so that we can get after uh, better training our civilians, something they've been asking for, and I think we owe them. Uh, and mentoring, mentoring not just for the LNs, and I know we're going to see an instruction here shortly, but mentoring for judge advocates and mentoring for civilians as well. And then finally, uh, something I think that really came to mind when I was out in Japan is the importance of continuing to foster that inclusion with our detachments and branches. 
uh, and it, it came to mind because Japan is one of those commands, real estate Japan, with a lot of detachments across a large geographic area. And it's important. We can never let up on including those detachments and branches and making them part of the team because it takes all parts of the team to be effective. Uh, so that's my list. It's probably more than three to five, but uh, that's what I'm looking at. That's great, sir. And Admiral Hannock, did you want to add to that? Um, can I repeat? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Admiral Crandall mentioned Military Justice Act of 2016. And I think in the near term, that has to be first and foremost on the minds of so many people. Um, these are the greatest changes to the military justice system in a long time. And we, we have to get it right. And that's going to take training. Uh, second for me, I think, is improvements in information technology and software. Um, many people in the field are familiar with the challenge we've gone through with DL Wills software. Um, many others um, know the challenges with the case management system, the case tracking software. And we've, we've got to get solutions that are better uh, for our people, that do better service for us and for the clients. Um, I think continuing on the information technology front, uh, moving to the cloud and increasing mobility, who doesn't want that? Um, I think we probably are not going to be ahead of the Navy on it, fair statement, but we can't be far behind. Wherever the policies allow us to be, we've got to find a way to stay up with that. And I think Code 67 has done a great job so far, but there's more work to do. Um, I'll also add on training. Um, you know, I think fundamentally we have to ensure that people are ready for the next challenge. And as JAG mentioned at the, at the JAG training symposium this summer, you don't know when the next challenge is coming uh, or exactly what it is sometimes. And so the, the training that we put in place is critical. I, I think of what Code 10 has done for lawyers and operational billets. And I think we need to replicate that elsewhere in the community. And I would add... Um, People as well. Admiral Crandall mentioned the gap to billets, and I think, um, um, again, this is the judge advocate side, much like we've done on the ligament side, right, with recruiting and retention. And we also need to pay attention to our web of incentives, those things that keep people in the service. Do we have the right ones? Are they working? And I think right now the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program is the one that we've got our eyes on because we have to be sure that that's working as intended. Uh, and if it's not, think about what else we need to do. And then obviously, um, I think what we need to be ready for is uh, its readiness and mentality. It's what SECDEF says. And um, each of us, as we go about our work, we need to know that there may be something in the future that we need to step in for that we don't feel necessarily ready for. We just need to step in and do it. Yes, sir. Um, my next question is for everyone. I'll start with Master Chief Ritchie. But uh, the question is, there are a lot of junior officers and junior legal men with great ideas out there that can improve the community. So how can they get those ideas on the desks of our leaders? I think there's a lot of great ways that they can get those ideas up. Um, I'm the JAG for CMC, so CMC policy is always, doors always open. So I'm always available through an email or a phone call. Um, we have a lot of senior LNs. We've got this, uh, the Master Chiefs and the Senior Chiefs and each of the AORs. They are a great resource, um, and they are very much plugged in to the LN community. So I wanted to point out a couple things. So JAG runs a lot of highly secure facilities when it comes to terrorists. 
And what's funny is this conversation happened in 2018. I believe that Master Chief has moved on. And uh, these are very humble guys. Um, they were the ones that, okay, so um, the Rear Admiral trial that you saw, he was one of the ones that um, there was an article by the New York Times in 2019 about turning Gitmo into a geriatric facility. Now, keep in mind, we don't have a lot of prisoners there. And so, of course, all of them are very old now. So we have to take care of them because they're old. And um, in order to do that, they had to get rid of the prison commander who was there. In fact, the commander of the prison in Guantanamo Bay was actually fired, right, uh, in 2019, just as they announced that they were going to make it a geriatric facility. And what's weird is, is that Admiral Fowler relieved Rear Admiral Ring for a loss of confidence in his ability to lead the United States Southern Command. That's a huge deal. Now, uh, Colonel uh, Azubuki, which is the spokeswoman for Southern Command that oversees the prison, said that they decided to remove Admiral Ring and it had nothing to do with the recent media visit that he hosted there. Huh. Yes. He was the one that leaked to the media and invited them over to Guantanamo Bay to say that they were making it a geriatric facility. Then questions started to start flagging through the liberal and leftist media, like, excuse me, wait a minute. These people aren't old. So why are we making it a geriatric facility? That's the question that was asked. Like, why is this a geriatric facility? Why are you changing it into a nursing facility for old people if there's no actual old people that are needed? Are you foreseeing keeping them until uh, their old age? Like, what is it? So apparently they were not happy with the fact that he had the media come and look at the prison and say that they're making it a geriatric facility, which raised questions in D.C. Why are you doing that when we don't need that? Which was um, kind of indicating or contraindicating or exposing the real purpose of the revamping of this Cuban area. Which, by the way, to get there, you have to take like a million flights. You know what I mean? But so it's like really weird that it all happened. So this guy actually entered the picture on this, uh, this Rear Admiral Cattrall. Uh, so it's kind of important. Now, when the new Gitmo commander came on, he said the majority of detainees that are there already have a relative degree of freedom because you know who this previous admiral invited? Obviously, it was Vice. It was the New York Times. Suddenly asking the Trump administration 
And obviously, guess who else? The guys that are sitting on the J6 committee questions as to why is this facility being revamped? Why are we making this a geriatric nursing facility? I'm not understanding. So the guy was fired because everyone he invited were actual assets in the CIA. But okay, that's another question. And that's another topic. And that's another answer. But I wanted to point out some things that are are need to know for news that should be coming soon. So the Rear Admiral Kazad said, you need skin about an inch thick to work at Gitmo. Because dozens of recent news reports allege that detainees are abused by military guards and subjected to brutal force feeding by nurses. Uh, like that they were anal feeding them. This is what the Admiral said, right? There are 149 remaining detainees. Um, there were about 800 at that point that were held for like nearly a decade. So what's really weird is, is that, um, you know, this new Admiral was, this new Rear Admiral said he was an, an aviator for the U.S. Navy with more than two decades who previously worked at the White House and had no experience uh, running a detention facility before taking command at Guantanamo. Um, he said the only thing he knew about the facility was whatever he searched, news reports, blog posts. His perception was that Guantanamo was like what people thought. But when he actually went there, um, you know, to be the 11th commander, uh, he said he discovered that there's a lot more to the mission in Guantanamo than the media has shown to the world. And Rear Admiral Kazad said that, um, you know, having a safe, humane, legal, and transparent care is important in accordance with the common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions. So Vice did a piece on him after the other guy got fired for inviting them. Admiral Fowler, the leader of the Southern Command, and Admiral Ring met on the Saturday after he invited um, the, you know, Waypo, New York Times, Vice and stuff. Uh, they met in Doral, Florida, which is the headquarters, by the way. And Fowler himself, Admiral Fowler himself, personally said to Admiral Ring, you're fired. Right? And he was assigned elsewhere. And it'll be fun to see where he is now. So um, Admiral Ring actually um, was on the Nimitz. Um, and he was always in prison stuff. Um, he began his assignment in 2018 and he was due anyway to be replaced um, uh, in June of 2019, but he was fired earlier than that. And you know, it's funny. He was fired right after the Building 7 report came out and right after certain cases were being brought. They like cleared it out. And this is the problem that we had is that, you know, General Kelly was involved in that whole shebang there too. Now, um, Admiral Ring, um, 
in 2018, in June, told reporters that that prison, you know, uh, separates high value detainees um, in something called Camp 7. And Camp 7 wouldn't be good enough when the prisoners are older. So they were trying to figure out how they can take care of older prisoners. That was his assignment, but he wasn't supposed to tell the media. And this is why he got fired. So I just thought I'd um, bring that to your attention because I've talked about, uh, you know, Building 7 in Guantanamo before, but I thought I'd give you just a little bit more because when the news comes out, certain things come out, when they do come out, you know, it'll make more sense. There's no point in talking about it now because now it's just, it's fake news, right? So let's just talk facts. So we're just going to talk facts, right? These are facts. So I'm giving you a good foundation so that when other news comes in, it sits really, really well. So I wanted to bring that up. Now, before we get into J6, because tomorrow there's another J6 hearing. I mean, they got to keep it going. Um, and before we see Adam Schiff and everything, I thought I could show you guys something that is that was presented uh, to the Congress of Peru last year. So a few years ago, well, a lot of years ago, <laughs> there was, um, I want to say like about a decade. Wow. How many times did I, hold on a second. That's the Congress video. Give me a second. Okay. So years ago, they found these mummies in Peru. And if you go online, you're going to see a lot of placement videos telling you that they were debunked. I'm talking like five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Well, about six months ago, this evidence was actually presented to Congress of Peru. So I want you guys to enjoy this six-minute clip. Obviously, we'll see some clips of the of the Peruvian Congress being advised of the findings, but I want you guys, even <laughs> want you guys to pay attention because this is not a conspiracy theory, not debunked. This was presented in Peru in um, when did they? Uh, 2021, in the fall of 2021. So anyone telling you that this has been debunked, you need to go on there and put in the congressional link, okay? Because there's a lot of videos telling, oh, this was debunked because they found it years ago. Let me not say a decade. So I hope you guys enjoy this. This is pretty exciting. Supposed to see one of, one the, of the most important, important discovery of the 21st century. Nazca, Peru home of one of the most mysterious archaeological sites on Earth. A new mystery has emerged from this remote location, and it takes us from what we see above the ground to what lies below. We get a lot of leads here at Gaia regarding new discoveries or investigations, but one particularly interesting lead came to us from a journalist named Jaime Musan. My name is Jaime Maussan. I am an investigative journalist, and I've been working as a journalist for the last 47 years of my life. He got word of some mummies in Peru that didn't look human. We decided to go to Peru and examine 
and see if these were fake or real or what, what were they? Our crew jumped on an airplane and uh, flew from Colorado to Lima, Peru with cameras and everything in tow. Jaime also took a camera crew with us. We also took scientists. Yeah, we have a very important mission here in Peru. Uh, I came here together with a group of scientists, professionals, journalists. Once the scientists arrive, the body is revealed and they get to analyze it for the first time. When he brought it out and put it up, pulled it out of the box, it was a stunned silence at first. It was prepared mummy. The size of this homonoid was 168 centimeters. It's practically my size, it's a bit shorter. So it means that this was a person who was walking as we do, uh, who was able to move hands as we have with long legs. So proportion of the body was very similar to ours. It is absolutely authentic hand with three long fingers, very long. The three fingers is a characteristic that makes it unique and unforgettable. And that is what exactly makes us think that this does not belong to a human species. Then, of course, very important head. That, of course, was the most amazing. It was not our rounded skull, but it was very protuped skull, very clear. And on the skull as well, it was very, very natural. Very interesting, they had neither nose nor ears, only little holes. The mummies are covered completely in this white dust. But this is not just white dust. It's uh, something that is going to really uh, dry the skin, and the skin will be able to survive for so many years. When Constantine pulled out the sample and we saw the gray skin, uh, then I knew, because I know that bodies, when they reach that level of decomposition, they turn this kind of slate gray. So that way I felt really good about one of the most important things I think that we can do is to, to take samples, and the samples are important for a couple of reasons, carbon-14 testing uh, and DNA testing, where we can figure out how old the possible creature is and, of course, what the genetic makeup of it is. One of the labs that we sent a sample to for carbon-14 dating came back and the results were anywhere from 245 AD to 410 AD. One of the coolest things that we got to do is we got to take the body to get CAT scanned and we are currently getting all of the information from the CAT scans analyzed. Could somebody have gone in here and they did something with the skull to change it, they did something with the hands to make it have this appearance. Based on the images that I'm seeing here, it seems unlikely. Professor Krokov and his team in Russia also analyzed the body and they've actually discovered some very interesting evidence. In layman terms, a mummy is when organs are extracted. So this is technically not a mummy. However, in this case, the body was mummified, but the organs were not removed. What was interesting is right after we saw the body, we began looking at some nearby petroglyphs, and uh, we discovered a humanoid figure in the petroglyphs in the mountains that had three fingers. I've seen many images of uh, South American cultures. I would think it's just some imagination of someone. All myths, 
all religious beliefs of ancient people, they are based on some reality. So we're uh, wondering what we're really dealing with here. Gaia is completely committed to the story. We're going to let you know if it's human, if it's non-human. Like I said, our whole mission is just pure curiosity. What could it be? And to honestly give a journalistic approach to that, that is our mission. And that's what we hope to bring to you. This is just the beginning. This is not the end, not even with the samples. There is so much more to come. From my point of view, it is no uh, way that it is some deformity of human body. It is absolutely different structure of all skeleton and it's, it belongs to another creature, another humanoid. Wow, that was interesting, right? Well, now, why don't we go into the non-debunked stuff, right? Where the scientists, um, well, it was 2018 when they did their first presentation. Um, Russia actually was involved in um, the study. The United States was. I mean, it's quite fascinating, but I want you to see the scientific results, that were actually presented to the Congress of Peru on November 19th, 2018. There's more. So I'm gonna play a little bit of this. Um, most of it is in Spanish, but this isn't debunked, you guys. This went straight to their Congress. Las cuales todavía poseen sus cápsulas en cada interlínea articular, especialmente en la sutura temporal. Da igual, han sido mutilados el, el primer dedo y el quinto dedo, como podemos apreciar en la diapositiva, eh, ha sido mutilado también. En los pies encontramos cinco meta metatarsianos, pero en los cuales no están completos, eh, han sido modificados o cortados el primero y el quinto metatarsiano. En una vista lateral observamos lo mismo. El pie izquierdo ha sufrido las mismas consecuencias. Han sido mutilados eh, el primer y el quinto metatarsiano. Eh, eh, en las imágenes que vemos eh, laterales está conformado por tres falanges y que muy probablemente esta, este dedo está terminando en una garra de forma aplanada. So I'm going to drop the, the link in um, Telegram so you guys can see it yourself. So they were showing how they can recreate it and how this wasn't recreated, right? So they're showing how they can mutilate to create, but they can't elongate and how the actual facts were. So they were comparing the two so you could see it. So it's, it's pretty interesting because for some reason it's been put out that it's been completely debunked. Um, that it was created and it was non-human three-fingered mummified something something so they tried to recreate it and based on the science and the evidence that they have you know they could not recreate it and the only thing that they could constitute was that these beings were um reptilian like this is why they um they found joints that um, were claimed to be dinosaurs or reptiles or whatever to be equal to theirs. Um, it's quite fascinating. It's a, it's a 
two hours and 20 minutes testimony and it's all documented. And this video has only had 500 views, believe it or not. See, nobody looks at it. The minute someone says, oh, it's debunked, it's like the media. No, we debunked that. And it's like, when did you debunk it? Yeah, we totally did. So shut up. So I'm going to drop it in Telegram because this goes through all of the science, shows how they tried to do it. There were two female um, females found. I think it's called Josephine and something. Um, and um, one was smaller than the other. Um, this is the, these are the Russian results. Um, and I, I mean, you guys are going to see just how, you know, amazing this is. Um, and the only reason I'm telling you this is because the world has gone so crazy lately that, that, you know, none of us right now are paying attention to anything else, but J6 elections, and this is how they're sneaking in crazy legislation. And, you know, like, like I said, now people are like aliens and you're just like, yeah, I don't have the capacity for it right now. You know, we've got FEMA crawling everywhere. They're passing laws for our kids. You know, we've got Hillary Clinton asking for orange revolutions. You know, they're saying that this is a threat to the democracy. No, it's a threat to their plan. Okay. Climate change. I told you they were going to lock people down for climate change. And yep, they started in Europe. And, and here's another thing. People don't think, oh, the heat wave killed all these cows. Really? What happened to the horses, the chickens, the ducks? What about the pigs? They didn't die. It's just cow specific. Just the cows died of a heat wave. Like common sense. What about the puppies, the kittens, you know, or any other animal, lamb, sheep? Did they all die too? Or is it just, you know, just cows? It happens to be beef, like I said, just cows. And now tearing down all these manufacturing facilities, let me tell you something. Weird thing. Do you got have you guys ever heard of the big ass fire in Chicago where there was like this great fire in Chicago and everything burned down? Have you guys heard of that in the you know hundred years ago or whatever? Right? Well, here's where it gets interesting. The minute the fire happened, it was almost instantly that they had building supplies right outside of Chicago. To rebuild that shit and bring up the new Chicago you see today. And it's like, wait a minute, wait, stop, hold on. Um, okay, coincidence. Well, is it though? Have you followed up to see those manufacturing companies that caught fire by accident? I don't know how many. I lost count after 25, right? Food processing plants. Have they, did they suddenly get revamped too? Do they have new plans in order? To just prop them up as something new with better technology and better facilities. I don't know, maybe like Impossible Burgers. I'm just spitballing here. Or the chicken nuggets that have the textured chicken but don't taste like chicken. Do you see what I'm trying to say? And then because people aren't getting it, not only are cows, only cows, because the heat wave only targets cows, does not target the horses, the lambs, the chickens, the ducks, the pigs, you know, maybe those will come later, right? But it targets the cows. And now with the gas and everything, the few cows we have, 
you know, we don't have gas. So not only did we drive the prices up, but now you can't even find gas to put in your car. What? Nuh-uh. Yeah, that's what's happening. These people have taken it to the next. <laughs> they manufactured all of this. Well, let's just see what happens at Tara Del Fuengi. But for now, we must sit pretty. We have our rice and flour. And um, we need to get a stop on this really, really quickly before it gets ugly. But, you know, sometimes things like this have to happen. It has to be at the precipice. People have to see it themselves. People need to wake up. You know, you're starting to see the lefties. Um, kind of wake up. You know, I had a conversation with someone at 2.30 a.m. 3 a.m. Shit. I'm trying to remember time zones. So I would say it was 5 a.m. time zone. Whatever. It was the wee hours of the morning before the crack of dawn. How's that? Pretty simple. So I was having a conversation with this Indian lady, professional government worker. And I was like, yeah, I'll take the electric vehicle. And she said, well, Miss Maris, you know, okay, fine. You can take the electric vehicle. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have to go to that one place for gas and be in line with all the vehicles. Cause there's not a lot of places for gas. And, um, you know, I said, maybe next time people will be more careful with their vote, right? Because even though it was cheated, some idiots actually voted for that. Oh, well, you know, he's not that worse than the other guy. And I was like, you mean mean tweets guy? You mean the guy that you felt safe when he was president? You had money in your pocket. You had gas in your tank. And your flights to go home weren't that expensive. So tell me again how... She's like, all right. Yeah, you're right. I said, not everyone's going to like their, their, their leadership or their, the way they are. You see them by their fruits. Because if you, you're one of those prissy people like the Bible thumpers, you know, the Bible thumpers that say, oh, no, you can't cuss. That's so anti-good. Or mind your, I mean, I don't like cussing. I, I really don't. I cuss a lot. Because I'm so frustrated, I want to say a lot of things that I can't say. Um, so I'm frustrated and I don't like it. It's just not pretty. It's not nice. You know, um, it just degrades my message. I mean, you know, like I care about the degradation. Yeah, I do kind of, but you know what I mean. Um, but those people that are pretentious, that stick to stupid stuff, like cross your legs, don't man spread, you know, things like that. Those are the people that get us into positions like this. Oh, I just can't because he does mean tweets. So I'm going to go for the other guy that says all the things that I want to hear, even though he's the biggest fucking loser. And another thing this morning, I popped into Patrick Burns locals feed. He was kind of right. People were talking about making fun of him falling off the bicycle. Like, I didn't see it as something funny. I saw it as the prelude to getting rid of him. We all know, and I've said this many times before, and you can fact check me on it. 
over the age of 65, if you slip and fall, right, and you get a broken hip, that's almost a death sentence, okay? Death sentence. So the fact that he's 78, 79 years old and fell off his bicycle, even though he looked really young and fit to be him, whatever, regardless, he could go home and being nursed right now. And then they're like, oh, by the way, he fractured his hip. He's like really sick. Oh, by the way, he contracted COVID or the pneumonia in the hospital. So Kamala Harris is your president. I did tell you she was going to be president. They're going to put her up there. I told you. Before Christmas, that's their plan. So they're just testing the waters to see which way it should go. I mean, everybody falls off their bike. Nobody cares. But it was very, very specific. Like, why would you go bike riding? When you can't even tie your shoe or control your bowels, you're going to go bike ride it. You're asking for it. You're asking to be made fun of, which isn't right. You know, if, if it is him, well, that version, right? It's him. He fell. Okay. He fell. So everybody falls. How many of you have not fallen? The point is, why did he fall with all the cameras that happened to be there to catch him fall? Hmm. Hmm. He fell with all those cameras right there. Hmm. What did I've said this and you can look it up on that Tori website, hip fractures, death sentence. Very important. Cause that's the majority when older people fall down. First of all, he's 78, 79. He's got brittle bones. Supposedly. Right? This is how you make a nice clean exit. So now we're going to shift gears from all these tidbits of information that you're not getting anywhere else. And um, we're going to take a quick, super fast break. And we're going to come back with J6 chit chat. Because, like I said, they will tell you exactly what they are seeking to do. They always do. And don't ever forget it. There's no way that you are the underdog. They are. So when someone says, oh, clear majority, it's like, stop. Stop. We are already the majority. No, and we're getting bigger now, too. So uh, let's take that break. I need another story. Something to get off my chest. My life gets kind of boring. Need something that I can confess Till all my sleeves are stained red Remove the truth that I've said Combine honestly, I swear That you saw me weak, no, I've been on the brink So tell me what you want to hear Something that will light those ears I'm sick of all the incense here So now I'm gonna give all my this time, don't need another perfect life. Don't care if it's like a jumping line. I'm gonna give all my secrets away. Oh my, amazing that we got this far. It's like we're chasing all those stars. Who's driving shiny big black car? And every day I see the news, all the problems that we can solve, and when it's Riding into an album scene that's been too good. I don't really like my flow. No 
Yeah, I want to give all my secrets away, but I can't. I can't do that right now. I can't do that right now. It's a big week this week. It's a very big week this week. Um, lots of work. Um, lots of things happening. Um, and until it's done, nothing is coming on. But I will give all my secrets away with that, having said that. Give all my secrets away. So now, let's start. Where do we start? My gosh, I don't even know where I want to start. Let's just start on CNN calling out Fox News. Let's just start with that one. That one's a good clip. And it, of course, it's Pillsbury Doughboy talking about it, right? Saying that election causes divide among top Fox News hosts. Pillsbury Doughboy got a kick out of this one. The GOP primary in Pennsylvania reveals so much about the state of the Republican Party writ large. The Senate candidates there have been campaigning all across right-wing TV. We counted at least 19 interviews across Fox and Newsmax just this month. Dr. Mehmet Oz is a favorite of Fox's Sean Hannity. I mean, at this point, Hannity has basically been uh, the shadow campaign manager for the Oz campaign. But it's caused a divide inside Fox, with Hannity trying to warn voters against the little-known but late-surging candidate Kathy Barnett, while an hour later, Laura Ingram promoting Barnett, denouncing the smear campaign against Barnett and defending her. On Saturday, Barnett, who owes much of her fame to Fox, look at her Twitter bio, likened Hannity to a swamp monster trying to, quote, steal the election. But we only know that thanks to an audio recording of Barnett made by a rally goer and given to CNN's Dan Merica. Crews from CNN, CBS, NBC, and other outlets were barred from attending this rally on Saturday in Bucks County, even though it was billed as a public event that anyone could attend. This was apparently at the direction of the leading GOP candidate for governor in the state, Doug Mastriano. MSNBC's Dasha Burns showed this man in a Paul Revere outfit telling her to step back, step back behind the cones like she was some sort of threat. A threat for wanting to cover a campaign event. When I showed up on the scene in Warminster yesterday, reporters there told me it was basically a base-stoking strategy, right? It was uh, an example of scorn for the media, uniting many Republicans. So that seemed to be the idea by shutting out the press. But I couldn't help but wonder, do these candidates have something to hide? Why did I have to film from so far away? Reporters want to help everyone know who these candidates are. Selena Zito of the Washington Examiner, who would never be mistaken for some liberal activist, tried to ask Barnett some basic questions. She got blown off. Basic questions like, what's the name of your hometown? And when was she in officer candidate school? But Barnett would not even share details about her military service. It's baffling. Or is it? Let's ask two folks in Pennsylvania who know. Uh, Philly Inquirer National Opinion columnist Will Bunch. And Holly Otterbein, a national political reporter for Politico. So, Holly, you were out there in the rain getting soaked yesterday. I got there late. What the heck happened? Have you ever been shut out of public campaign events before? Not a public rally like this. I mean, usually <laughs> candidates want the press to cover their rallies, particularly in the days before a primary. It's very So what unusual. is this all about, you think? Is this all about stoking hatred of the media? Look, 
Doug Mastriano actually live streamed the event on his Facebook page. So we know that he didn't have a problem with getting it out there. I agree with, you know, a lot of the reporters that you said you talked to. While I can't get into the head of, you know, Mastriano, my best guess is, you know, this was a way to pick a fight with national media and rile up the base. And hey, at the same time, it meant that he got to evade questions from the press about, you know, things like the fact that he was at the at the Capitol on January 6th, um, that he was subpoenaed by the Congressional Committee investigating the attack, you know, that he's been the face of the movement to overturn the 2020 election in Pennsylvania. He got to evade questions, uh, you know, on those issues. And then also, yeah, picking a fight with the national media, it's it's good for business in, in the GOP primary. Right. The only people that suffer are the voters, even if they don't realize it, it's bad for them. Um, but I think the example of Barnett not answering questions from Zito is, is a crystal clear example of this problem. Well, well, here's a opinion column about this for, for the Inquirer. Uh, do you view what's happening right now in, in Pennsylvania? Sorry, that's not the right one. Let's set that off the screen for a minute. Uh, do you view what's happening in Pennsylvania as part of a broader phenomenon? Look at Herschel Walker in, uh, in Georgia avoiding debates. They're not just dodging reporters, they're also dodging debates. So is this something bigger going on? Yeah, I think I think, Brian, we're really seeing an escalation in what started, you know, seven years ago with Donald Trump and the, the whole enemies of the people routine. And it started out as, you know, harassment and taunting of journalists. And now, look, we're seeing journal. I mean, these scenes in Warminster yesterday were kind of shocking to see reporters being banned and shut out of these events. And, you know, I think you're right. It's certainly a base riling tactic. I think it, but I think it speaks to a real authoritarian turn in the Republican Party, you know, that this, I think Doug Mastriano is running for governor of Pennsylvania as a kind of a kind of a strong man. And I think, you know, his war on the press is kind of essential to this strong man persona he's trying to play. This is this is this is an anti-democratic candidate for governor. Are you just playing into their hands when you say this is authoritarian? Doesn't that actually just isn't that exactly what they want is for folks like you to get all riled up about this? Look, you know, the, the, the extreme right turn that the Republican Party is taking is one of the biggest things that's happening in this country right now. And I think, you know, I think the media can't ignore it. And I think the media yeah. needs to needs to call it out for, for what it is and, and, and take the consequences. I mean, this campaign needs exposure here. This guy is three days away from winning the Republican nomination for governor in Pennsylvania. And people in Pennsylvania need to know where this guy stands. They need to know that this guy... Doug Mastriano is going to appoint a secretary of state who, like him, is going to subscribe to Donald Trump's big lie, who who may not count all of the votes in the 2024 election. I can't I can't think. Whoa. Did he just say big lie? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Will Bunch can get sued right now. You know, Mm. see, I wanted I want to bring something up. So. When I put in for GOP and they broke the law and had, you know, the governor's son on the Supreme Court that said, oh, you know, there's a version of facts. And it's like, when the fuck have you ever heard a judge, let alone a Supreme Court, turn a blind eye to actual crimes and violations of law when it comes to elections and then call it version of facts? So I said. And to all my haters that laughed, if it's happening to me, it's going to happen to you. Now they're rounding them up, saying that they were in the Capitol, maybe. That they marched. That they went in the Capitol. They're just making shit up. It doesn't matter as long as it sticks. Because we can't have another Donald Trump. Which means we can't have someone that's not in the club running. 
Think about it. Now he said big lie, kind of like the Russia hoax. Oh, no, 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 no. You said big lie on CNN. I've just documented and archived that. Today is the 20th of June. Just remember that, guys. Remember that. Think of any time when voters in Pennsylvania needed to be better informed about a candidate than they need to be informed about Doug Mastriano. And, and that's what he's trying to prevent. To your point about the importance of this story, the Inquirer's editorial board came out with this editorial. Here's the headline. We wanted to endorse in the GOP primaries this year. We can't. And they say it's simply because these candidates are not operating in the same reality as the editorial board. So left-leaning editorial board cannot, cannot pick a candidate. Um, tell us more about this. Uh, is it a left-leaning editorial board, or is the problem that we just can't agree on basic facts? I mean, well, I usually, mean endorses Democrats. usually endorses Democrats. Well, no, this is, but this was, but Brian, this is an endorsement among Republicans within a Republican primary, which True. they traditionally have done. And then they could not do that because uh, they, they made a decision, and I think this was a sound decision, that they wanted to ask these candidates, do you believe that Joe Biden won the 2020 election? And the majority of these candidates. And this is where we get down to it. Anyone saying that they can change the GOP has lost their noodle. The GOP made a collective decision. If anybody says in any circle that they believe that the election was stolen, they cannot be a GOP candidate, period. They said that. Like I said, one party, I said this a long time ago, they just give you the illusion that there's two. And here's where you see them showing you their true colors. Everyone's finding out about Crenshaw now. I think I talked about it two, three years ago, right? This whole J6 thing, it's a sham. It's a sham because they want to keep President Trump off, but not so much just him as a person to stop people like you and me from running for office. The GOP is dead. And anyone trying to resurrect that dead fake-ass elephant we just need to go back to the Federalist Party. That was the OG party of actual Republicans that believed in, <laughs> in the republic that we're supposed to be living in. Keep that in mind as you listen to the rest of this. Super duper. Who believe that Joe Biden won the 2020 election? And the majority of these candidates would not say yes. And that, that just made it a non-starter. It's like, why should we bring these people in here if they can't even agree the basic reality that, that Joe Biden got 70,000 more votes in Pennsylvania than, than Donald yep. Trump did. Right. Holly, the other big media angle in this race is the money being spent or the lack thereof, both in the gubernatorial, gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania and in the Senate race. You've got folks who are, who are losing in the ad wars, winning in the polls. You know, this is one of the biggest parts of this election, one of the biggest stories, I think. It's completely, you know, unusual and defies political logic. You've got Doug Mastriano, who, as of the beginning of the week, had spent less than $300,000 on TV ads. That's practically nothing in a big state like Pennsylvania compared to his opponents who, you know, have been spending millions and millions of dollars. Same thing with Kathy Barnett. She surged in cont into contention with Dr. Oz and, and David McCormick. She had spent at the beginning of the week about $140,000 on TV, while Oz and McCormick, you know, and their allies have spent record-breaking sums. So what's going on here? Um, I think that this... See, CNN is telling you exactly what's going on. It's not about the money. 
You can have millions of dollars in spending. You can no longer sway the voter. They are now able to think that's what's going on. You don't need money. I mean, the guy that won in New Jersey proved it to you with $192. You don't need money. You just need not to be bought and not have people, well, not people, well, some people like Wexner or corporations funding you. You can sit there and say, I raised $6 million. And it's like, yeah, but are you really going to get elected? No, you're not. See? And they're like, this is going against political theory. Oh, you mean the construct you created that people are now breaking out of? Speaks to a few things. The power of right-wing media, you know, both Mastriano and Barnett, while, you know, um, especially Mastriano has really stayed away from the traditional press. Barnett has done, uh, you know, I think a bit more interaction with it. But but nonetheless, they've both really, you know, made a name for themselves on right-wing media. And right. then also, I think this is a story about social media. On Facebook, you know, they get tons of interactions. You know, there are Facebook groups that are dedicated to them that are fan groups. And, you know, they're kind of like volunteer armies um, spreading the message of these candidates. I thought there was an analysis that was really, really telling, um, which showed that Kathy Barnett only had about 40,000 followers on Facebook. Dr. Oz had 5.6 million. But this analysis... You mean Dr. Oz bought his followers, right? She didn't. Hers were grassroots. And that's why she's getting things done. See, you can have 100,000, 200,000, 500,000. But the interaction makes sense. What's the point of having a Twitter account with 500,000 people when you're only getting 50 retweets? Right? Right? What's the point of having a Telegram or a Facebook with hundreds of thousands and you're getting a lot of views because people scroll through shit, but no interaction? It means they're bots. They're paid for. People are up and they're busy. And those 40,000 people in their groups are actually working to fix their state. They're upset because their money can't buy your mind anymore. They're upset. This, this is such an awesome week. They're so upset. I love this. I love it when they're upset. I freaking love it. Here's some more. Listen, I want you guys to listen to her analysis again. Listen to this. Power of right-wing media, you know, both Mastriano and Barnett, while, you know, um, especially Mastriano has really stayed away from the traditional press. Barnett has done, uh, you know, I think a bit more interaction with it, but, but nonetheless, they've both really, you know, made a name for themselves on right-wing media. And right. then also, I think this is a story about social media on Facebook. You know, they get tons of interactions. You know, there are Facebook groups that are dedicated to them that are fan groups. And, you know, they're kind of like volunteer armies um, spreading the message of these candidates. I thought there was an analysis that was really, really telling, um, which showed that Kathy Barnett only had about 40,000 followers on Facebook. Dr. Oz had 5.6 million. But this analysis showed that they had roughly the same amount of interactions and video views on Facebook. I mean, that wow. is really telling. That's really interesting. On Tuesday, we're going to see if the polls were right-ish or not. Will and Holly. Thank you both. So now people are getting it. It doesn't matter what your numbers are. That doesn't mean you're an influencer. You can have 1,000 people. You can have 4,000 people. You can have 40,000. And you could still outdo the people that have hundreds of thousands and millions. Because theirs aren't busy. They're just there to troll and watch. Not to do. That's the difference. It's about we the people. Now, we need to go to one of my favorite you know, watermelon heads. 
You know, every time I think and I call him a watermelon head, you know what I think of? That thing that was viral on Musical.ly, formerly known as TikTok, um, uh, that uh, where they put like a lot of rubber bands around a watermelon to see how many it'll take to bust. And every time I see him talk, I think like he has rubber bands around his face. That's why his eyes pop out. So let's take a listen to what um, I, Adam Schiff has to say. Seriously in decades and record high gas prices. The threat to the economy is sharing a split screen with the threat to democracy. The ongoing January 6th hearings are now entering their third week. And this Tuesday, the January 6th committee is expected to move the argument from former President Trump's pressure on state officials to change the elections. Officials from Georgia and Arizona are expected to testify, including the Georgia Secretary of State, Republican Brad Raffensperger, who recently defeated a Trump-backed opponent in his Republican primary. Remember, Trump asked Raffensperger to find, quote, 11,000-plus votes during a very, very long call, January 2nd, 2021. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,000 780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. What does it mean for the committee's case? Here with me now exclusively is the man leading the next hearing, Intelligence Committee Chairman and member of the January 6th Committee, Adam Schiff. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we do already know a lot about Georgia, including that phone call we just played. Uh, what are you going to reveal new about Georgia and also Arizona? You know, like most of the other hearings, there'll be a combination of things that are already in the public arena and a lot of new information. Uh, and what I think is most significant is we will weave it together, uh, tell the public how one thing led to another, one pressure campaign. They'll weave it together, weave it. To ignore the Constitution, put the vice president's life in danger. Uh, and this week we'll hear about how a similar pressure campaign directed against state and local elections officials um, put their lives in danger. And similarly, the president was told this scheme uh, is essentially uh, something that his own lawyers couldn't justify. Uh, but yet he pressed on, uh, uprooted people's lives, uh, put their lives and our democracy very Push much at risk. risk. We don't have Your a democracy. That's why. Out. Your democracy, not ours. We're a republic. Now, having said that, he's going to weave the story until people get it because they can't really find crimes. And you're going to hear about that today on this show. Because remember when Comey let Hillary Clinton off? <laughs> and it was just a couple of days after. Well, no, it was like the weekend that he had paid CrowdStrike, right? The FBI did. They paid CrowdStrike. Look at my old episodes. I have the receipt. I think I published it too. Because it's so weird that CrowdStrike did Hillary Clinton's thing, but CrowdStrike also did Hillary Clinton's emails. What? Mind blown. Completely. Ah, so having said that, you'd be surprised what's on that sarbar. So having said that, um, you know, right now they're in a position where they're really trying to make sure President Trump can't get elected. Any one of these people talking against President Trump is because they have no idea what's going on in the background. You know, a lot of people talk about um, Q qualifications. And that's a clearance. Uh, there's something that a lot of people have misconstrued. So there's a, a, um, 
I talked about this before, you can look it up, where there's like a, a group. It's kind of like a bridge between all intelligence communities, right? Where they come and meet. Now, other people have called it the Majestic 12, other people, whatever. But in essence, it's only six agencies that talk to each other. Those are the six agencies that actually have codes to nuclear shit, um, which is the trigger. Uh, so they're the actual Justice League. And with the Kraken about, you think we don't know what his communications are? This is perfect. Because while everyone's debunking what's being said and what is happening, and they're insane foaming at the mouth when they hear Q, goes back to this Justice League, just so you know. Hence, the troll was exceptional. Um, this Justice League already has everything in play. Some people that are on shift side know and are playing their role in exchange for stuff like not going to a specific geriatric facility and um, to be able to maintain their legacy. I'm going to be very careful how I'm going to word this. Now, while they're doing this J6, we also have Dominion, which, keep in mind, is one of many election companies that know exactly what went on during the elections, but they can't be legally held responsible. So they're using that because no one's put one and one together. It's going to be a fucking hot week. I'm telling you that because it's about to go down because the clock is ticking. And so they know it's ticking and they need the public opinion. So as you listen to this interview, I want you to hear the urgency. I want you to hear their frustration. And I want you to see how things that happened before. Remember, he couldn't prosecute Hillary Clinton because there was no intent. Yeah, she deleted the email, but I don't think there was intent to do this. I don't think there was intent. Well, here's the thing. President Trump is not a lawyer, right? Actually, let me walk that back. Well, he's not a lawyer, but let me let me use another example. Remember when COVID happened and it was all of a sudden and President Trump was like, damn, I just had my State of the Union <coughs> speech where this bitch ripped it up and suddenly everyone's sick and we're locked down. And I got to talk. People want me to lock people down. People want me to give instructions. No, here you go. These are your most important people. These are the people you're going to make dolls about. You're going to sing songs about. You're going to call them Fauci ouchies. Here are the people. Oh, my gosh. You're going to talk to this guy and that guy. The, here, I take the advice of the specialist. So remember that argument. Remember. And intention. So let's say, for example, um, my lawyer tells me, that it would be good advice that I, um, I don't know, put my handgun on the dashboard when I drive, right? And because, because he said so. I'm just making up an example. And then I get pulled over and arrested for brandishing a weapon on my dashboard with the intention of intimidation. 
And I'm going to be like, you know, that wasn't the intention. My, I'm not a lawyer. My lawyer advised me to do that. So there's no intention. Therefore, there's no crime. Therefore, I didn't do anything they said. Keep that in mind. Remember what he did with COVID. And now listen very, very, very carefully to the next few minutes. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Evidence about Trump electors in battleground states who submitted fake electoral college ballots, even though Trump lost these states that we're talking about. We have already heard that campaign officials, Trump campaign officials were involved in that. Do you have evidence that the former president himself was involved? Uh, yes, we'll show evidence of the president's involvement uh, in this scheme. Uh, we'll also, again, uh, show evidence uh, about what his own lawyers uh, came to think about this scheme. Um, and we'll show courageous state officials who stood up uh, and said they wouldn't go along with this uh, plan to either call legislatures back into session or decertify the results for Joe Biden. Uh, the system held because a lot of uh, state and local elections officials um, upheld their oath to their constitution. A lot of them Republicans uh, as well as Democrats. Just to be clear, you said you have evidence that the then president was involved in putting a fake slate of electors out there. Do you do you have evidence that he directed it? Um, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of our hearing. We'll show during a hearing what the president's role was in trying to get states to name alternate slates of electors, how uh, that scheme depended uh, initially on hopes that the legislatures would re reconvene and bless it. Will we see that he they directed didn't, it? And they pressed forward with it anyway. Will we will we see that he directed it? Um, I don't want to get ahead of what we're okay. showing during the hearing, but we will show you uh, what we know about his role in this. Your committee sent a letter to Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The, the letter went out on Thursday asking for her testimony. You obtained communication between Ginny Thomas and the lawyer plotting to overturn the election, John Eastman. What questions do you have for her? Well, we want to know what she knows, uh, what her involvement was uh, in this plot to overturn the election. Um, she has said that she is willing to come in and testify voluntarily. We're glad to hear that. Um, really, anyone with pertinent information, uh, we want to hear from. And so we have a range of questions to ask her. Uh, obviously, I, I think the committee will be interested, among other things, whether this was discussed with Justice Thomas, given that he was ruling on cases impacting whether we would get some of this information. If you find the answer to that question is yes, do you agree with some of your Democratic colleagues like Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that Justice Thomas should resign or perhaps should be impeached? Well, I, I think that at a minimum uh, it suggests, and, and I think we know enough to say this already, that Justice Thomas, to avoid even the appearance of impropriety, should have nothing to do with any cases relating to January 6th, uh, particularly regarding our investigation. Um, because, you know, we want our justices to uphold a standard that goes beyond what's lawful or unlawful to avoiding even the appearance of a conflict or impropriety. Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren told my colleague Jake Tapper this week that some information has been provided on a confidential basis from your committee to the Justice Department. Uh, you know this, I'm sure you're hearing this. So many people watching your committee hearings are asking, what is going to come of this? Is the Justice Department going to file uh, criminal charges? 
first question is, why haven't you given everything over to the Justice Department that they are asking for and they say they need in order to potentially do that? I don't think Congress has ever done that. And I've been participating now in several investigations uh, where there have been parallel investigations done by the Justice Department. Congress never says, hey, Justice Department, uh, other branch of government, just come and go through our files. Uh, we also don't say, hey, we want to go over and just rifle through your files. Um, when the Justice Department asks for things specifically, hey, you know, we're looking at a case, mm -hmm. uh, we're investigating this person, can you give us what you have? We work with them and we'll work with them here. You know, I, I do want to point out the Justice Department has the subpoena power too. They can convene a grand jury, they can bring in witnesses. Uh, traditionally, do they don't wait for Congress to do that work for the department. Right. Uh, so we're going to work with them. We want them to be successful in bringing people to justice. Uh, but I, I can't go into the private conversations. Well, have you seen evidence that the Justice Department has already opened an investigation into the former president? Um, I, uh, you know, just looking at the public record, I have not seen, for example, uh, grand juries convened in places where I would think they would be convened uh, if they were looking at some of the conduct, for example, that Judge Carter in California wrote. He believed that Donald Trump uh, was engaged in multiple uh, uh, acts that violate the criminal laws. You've been critical of the Justice Department for moving slowly. If you've done so much work, why not help them out? Well, you know, we certainly will help them. Uh, we want them to particularize what they're asking for. Uh, and it's our intention when we conclude our investigation to uh, okay. make public our, our uh, findings uh, in great detail. Uh, so but we, you know, we have a, a job to do as well, and we're doing that, and we're uh, doing this consistent with how um, the, the, our branch of government has operated and the executive branch has operated. We've seen a lot of taped testimony from the hundreds, even more, uh, of uh, closed-door testimony that you've done as a committee. But why aren't you calling witnesses in a public way who might challenge the committee? Is that intentional because you don't want to deviate from the storyline that you're trying to present to the public and, of course, potentially to the Justice Department? Uh, no. I mean, we, we are interviewing, frankly, anyone that has relevant evidence. Uh, we're putting that relevant evidence before the public. Uh, and we're doing it uh, in a way that uh, um, is the most cohesive and that we can get across the salient points to the public. So, like, why not subpoena Mike Pence, for example, if he won't? I know you asked him to testify voluntarily. That didn't happen. Um, you know, we're not taking anything off the table in terms of witnesses who have not yet testified. Um, we would still, I think, like to have several high-profile people come before our committee. Um, but uh, at the moment, um, I, I can't disclose what private conversations may or may not be going on with, with respect to certain individuals, but there are still key people we have not interviewed that we would like to. So Mike Pence is a possibility still? Uh, you know, certainly a possibility. We're not excluding anyone or anything at this point. Excluding anyone at this point. So interesting. So interesting. But see, they're coming across really big problems. Here's, um, here are the problems that they're coming across, aside from the fact that, you know, those in the GOP that are pushing this, that voted to impeach, that say that the elections are safe, they're not getting elected. They're starting to see it. Ah, the writing's on the wall, and they know it. But now they're trying to push the, President Trump is detached from reality. Anyone saying that the elections are stolen? are nuts. They're a threat to our democracy. Listen to us. We know best. Of course. 
Magazine, the hurdles prosecutors would face if they brought even, even just, just one, one of these charges against Trump. With me now to discuss is former federal prosecutor and legal affairs columnist for Politico magazine, Renato Mariotti. Renato, thank you so much for being here. If Donald Trump believed, if he believed the election were stolen, does he then have a defense as to any crime that requires intent? It it definitely provides a defense to him for, for some of the crimes that you listed a moment ago. For example, if you have a, if you're charging him with conspiracy to defraud the United States, one element of a fraud case is dishonesty. Uh, If you truly believe what you're selling, you're not committing fraud. Fraud is where you uh, are lying. uh, And actually one of the elements of conspiracy to defraud the United States is dishonesty. So that's one problem for the prosecution. As for uh, obstruction of an official proceeding, that requires proof of corrupt intent. Uh, and similarly there, um, that, that honest belief would help defeat that, uh, that, that charge as well. I asked that question because I know you're paying close attention to the hearings. We're hearing from any number of witnesses firsthand or secondhand. Well, this one told him he'd lost. This one told him he'd lost. But if he, in his mind, believes that he won, say what you will about Rudy Giuliani, maybe Rudy is telling him, hey, I think that you were robbed in this case. That's why I wanted to know what exactly is the intent issue all about. Yeah, Michael, I think part of the issue here is there were these dishonest enablers of Trump who were surrounding him. And some of them were lawyers. Right. Rudy Giuliani used to be the United States attorney in the Southern District of New York. John Eastman, a lot of folks are laughing at him right now, but he went to the University of Chicago Law School. He was a former Supreme Court clerk. You have these people who were lawyers giving him all sorts of advice. And I imagine the defense is going to be from Donald Trump. I was listening to these well-credentialed lawyers. They gave me this advice. I believe them over these other lawyers, and I was entitled to do so. That, you know, bad judgment maybe, but not a crime. And if you saw Trump, at, you know, out on the trail, so to speak, just yesterday, he continues to quadruple down on the theft idea, I guess, maybe because he believes it, but also, Renato, in line with what you're saying, it's probably a smart legal strategy that he not give an inch in that regard. Well, absolutely. I mean, if he says, look, I knew all along, if there, if Trump admitted, I knew all along that this was false and I pushed it in order to gain some advantage or to convince people otherwise or to try to steal the election, I think you'd be a lot closer to an indictment from the Justice Department. I, I think their concern with their hand wringing here is can they really prove his intent? Uh, and I think as somebody who's not only been a prosecutor for, was a prosecutor for a long time, but as a defense attorney now, Um, that's the challenge for the Justice Department. Renato, the Justice Department has a protocol or an edict you would know better than I of not bringing indictments close to an election. Donald Trump's name is not on the ballot in the midterm election. Will that preclude or not be a factor in anything that the Justice Department might be inclined to otherwise do? I don't think in this case that would be a factor. Um, You know, this is not a presidential election year. And most importantly, uh, I think the, the the circumstances and the implications are much broader than that. The real, the real issue, issue here is, of course, this would be a monumental indictment. Would have very. Can I just be a little bit mean to Mr. Renato Mariotti? So his hair looks like a cow licked it. He looks like such a turd. I just wanted to say it. Turd. Turd. Very substantial impact on the country. Uh, and I think their their main concern is being able to prove the charges. So as long as they had that evidence, I think they'd bring it. You said for Politico, Garland and his team must know that such a case would be a coin flip at best. Explain. Well, I, I think that, first of all, with Trump, 
there are always you have folks at home have to remember it's very easy to tweet out or write an op-ed saying what people want to hear. It's a very different thing to prove in a court of law to 12 jurors unanimously beyond a reasonable doubt someone's guilt when there are well-paid, very uh, skilled lawyers trying to convince the jury otherwise. And the reality of the situation is, first of all, some jurors are going to are going to potentially side with Trump no matter what. And Trump is in a situation where, you know, he, his state of mind is complicated. He's all over the place. Um, there is a genuine belief issue that we mentioned a moment ago. But I really think the biggest problem for the Justice Department is, you know, he was not hands-on uh, coordinating with the people who stormed the Capitol. So the crimes that where you have the strongest evidence of conspiracy are these crimes regarding the pressuring of Pence and so on, the conspiracy to defraud, the intent to... Um, the intent to uh, obstruct. And unfortunately, both of those require proof of a state of mind that really will be, I think, uh, problematic given the fact that you have lawyers who, yes, privately admitted that they knew what they were doing was questionable. But unless there's testimony that they told Trump that they thought they were going to lose in the Supreme Court or told Trump that they thought that this was a loser, um, Trump's going to be able to say, I received advice from this attorney who told me this was a legal plan and Mike Pence just didn't want to go Ooh. forward with what the attorney said. Oh, dear. So obviously they want to impeach um, as the Supreme Court Justice uh, Clarence Thomas because of his wife. So they need to ask her questions. And they want to say that the election theft is a lie. Even though you guys have seen 2000 mules, even though we have all these reports uh, proving that the elections are stolen <laughs> from the software to the algorithms, to the imaging, to the ballot stuffing, which I said was going to happen because they have to create the evidence. The algorithm tells them to create because they knew it was going to be checked. Hmm. So this is going to be very interesting. End of June. End of June is going to be very interesting. See, a lot of these people that are running for office are losing their minds because they're losing because they voted to impeach Trump or they're saying that, uh, you know, oh, election fraud's not real. And it's like, but they're but they won on the primary ballot. Well, Republicans aren't going to vote for you because they're seeing it more and more. They're looking at 2000 mules. And when you're sitting there telling people there's nothing wrong with the election and they're seeing everything wrong with the election, they'd prefer to vote for a Democrat or write someone in rather than give you the vote. And that's the thing. We can't have elections on these machines because the ones that are tooting that they're safe know that they've got it in the bag. That was a deal, the deal the GOP made. We'll eliminate any candidate. We'll eliminate any candidate that speaks about election fraud. As long as you make sure that our guys are in place. That way we have a deal. Deal? Deal. But it's really not working out for them. See, stuff like this happens. Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. Congressman Upton Fred Upton of Michigan, Michigan who is now retiring at the end of the term. Congressman, thank you so much for joining me. You were just, as I said, one of 10 Republicans who voted in the House to impeach Donald Trump for his actions on and leading up to January 6th. Do you think the case the January 6th committee is presenting is resonating with moderate Republican voters and independents? Yeah, I think so. I think the overriding issue certainly is the economy and gas prices, but I think there's 
been real interest in what's going on. Uh, you've got obviously your different factions that are not going to turn it on and watch. They made their decision some time ago, but yeah, I, I think that it's had an impact on voters across the country and we'll see how this thing plays out. Uh, the committee has been very careful not to divulge any details in advance of their hearings. Uh, for me, I, you know, obviously I was there that day. Uh, the regrets that I see is that some of the folks that they've talked to uh, who are now their, their answers are being made public. Where have they been for the last year and a half? Uh, why weren't they saying what they're saying now a year and a half ago, uh, particularly to those of us that actually witnessed what was going on uh, to back us up a little bit? Well, conservative judge Michael Ludig testified this week that Donald Trump and his supporters still pose a, quote, clear and present danger to American democracy. Congressman, the former president is actively exploring a 2024 run right now. Is your party going to back him again? Well, I have said from the beginning, I think that Donald Trump is going to be a candidate in 24. Uh, the voters still like him a lot. Uh, we see that uh, certainly in Michigan. Uh, he's had a number of uh, decisive wins uh, where he's endorsed candidates that they've won. Uh, he's had a, f a few losses as well, but he, he certainly entertains a, a majority of the Republican base and will be hard to stop. And, and frankly, as we look at the economy, we look at gas prices, all these different things, uh, folks are not really happy with the Biden administration, which is why he is mired at a level even below where uh, Donald Trump was at this point in, in his uh, tenure. What does it say to you uh, about your party that even after what we have seen over the last week that you say uh, is is pretty uh, damning, that Republican voters you think still might make him the nominee if he does run? Well, look, it was a close election. It was a close election in 2016. It was certainly a close election in, in 2020 as well. Uh, and you've got the base voters that are really upset that things didn't go their way mm -hmm. and they're 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 loyal as can be south uh, on that note south carolina republican tom rice who like you voted to impeach donald trump lost his primary this week that means that the of the 10 house republicans who backed impeachment half including yourself will not be returning to congress next year and the remainder are facing some pretty tough reelection battles come january 23, the question is, will there be anyone left in the House Republican Congress uh, conference or willing to stand up to Donald Trump? I think that there will be. I mean, for a couple of us, uh, you know, my district, Michigan lost a congressional seat. So mm -hmm. we went from 14 to 13. So they made my district like a sandwich uh, with even Upton Middle School put with Lake Erie. And I can see Lake Michigan from my house. Uh, Adam Kinzinger, they they diced his district up uh, pretty well uh, uh, also. So, you know, we'll see when these primaries are over. But, I, yeah, I think there'll be some of the 10 that are standing. And you got to remember, too, uh, though there were only 10 of us that voted to impeach, there were 35 of us that voted for a bipartisan commission uh, to look at this. And we know that there were a lot of folks who were, frankly, scared of their reelection, mm -hmm. uh, which is why they voted the other way as well. So. Uh, our group is actually a little bit stronger than than what the numbers showed. And of course, we did send it to the Senate and they did have a majority of the senators uh, vote to impeach the, the president. But, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, that's why politics is so, so much fun. Sometimes uh, it's uh, we'll see how things all shake out. 
Uh, one turn to guns. A bipartisan group in the Senate is trying to lock down a compromise deal, but funding for uh, state red flag laws and eliminating the so-called boyfriend loophole do remain sticking points for Republicans. Congress leaves for recess in a week. Do you think a deal is still gettable? I sure hope so. Um, we talked to, so I'm a, a vice bipartisan problem solvers caucus. We had a Zoom meeting uh, last week with a, a couple of senators. They brought us up to speed where they were. Frankly, I thought by now we'd have the legislative agreement since they agreed in principle uh, a week ago. Uh, the, as you said, the Senate's going to be out as the House will be at the end of this week. I'm hoping that they get close. Uh, those are the two sticking points. And should they get the votes to get it done? Uh, I, I think that the House will take it up for immediately when we come back. But haven't had an update in the last 48 hours, but I know that they're getting close. And, you know, it's frankly, it's common sense. Uh, law abiding folks uh, shouldn't have any fears in terms of what's what's going on. Uh, it's it's been a rallying point, particularly for the NRA and the gun owners of America. You look at their website and they're like raising cash like you mm -hmm. wouldn't believe in terms of their Second Amendment rights of being taken away. No, that's not what's happening here. This is some common sense stuff, but it's it's been elevated for sure, when, particularly when you have some pretty well-respected Republicans, uh, whether it be a, a John Cornyn or a Dan Crenshaw, literally being accosted at their state conventions in Texas this weekend. Fred Upton, a congressman from Michigan, thank you so much for joining me. Happy, happy Father's Day to you, sir. You bet. Thanks. Former, hello, former, never going to be a congressman again. So they're really pulling any any card they can. And then we have this, which is purely a gaslight that I want to show you. It's super gaslighting, not actual fact, but it's gaslighting and I freaking love it. I can't wait to show it to you. For you. You know, I was the guy who first brought up the idea of you running for Speaker of the House if we win in November. And you like the idea, but you never acted on it. And you've now endorsed McCarthy for Speaker of the House. Why don't no, you I consider no, no, running? No, no. I haven't. You haven't? No, I endorsed him in his race, but I haven't endorsed anybody for Speaker. Okay. So why not consider if we win big, if it's a landslide, which I'm confident it will be, despite the rigging, they can't beat us this time. It's just too overwhelming. We win big. Only you, I believe, could carry out the things that would save the middle class between now and 2024 and save capitalism. We need you, not Kevin McCarthy, leading the indictment, the, uh, the impeachment of Biden and Kamala Harris. Why not consider it? No, and I understand that. And, you know, we have a lot of great relationships in the House beyond great. We have some great people. And I'll talk to you about that at a later date. All right. All right. And, what, and one last thing. Are you planning to run for president? What can you say? Well, you're going to be happy. OK, you're <laughs> going to be very happy. I really right. believe that. I'm only happy if America exists in 2024. And at the way it's going now, I'm not sure. That's actually the much bigger question. Much bigger well, question. The country, there's been more damage done in the last two years than in 25 bad years. OK, you add up 25 of the worst years. There's been more damage done in the last year and a half. We'll see what happens. Yeah. That's He's right. A lot of damage has happened. Why? Because the people can see it now and they're participating. And so now what they knew worked to control the people no longer works. So now they know what's coming. 75 days. They know what's coming. 
And so what they're going to try to do is mitigate, either get rid of Clarence Thomas, spin the idea that this is all fake news and it's a big lie, which they're not allowed to say anymore. <laughs> um, hammer down, giving Dominion free reign to start suing people so they can't talk. Why would Dominion suddenly start suing other people? Almost like they're going to be in the news and they're not going to be allowed to talk about them. But like CNN said, you don't need the big reach. It's an army of citizens that are taking control of everything. So there we go. And even if, well, take a listen to this. This is the final clip we're going to play for today. This was a very eye-opening um, statement from this guy. It's pretty interesting. In dealing with this, is, is, is anybody in the elites going to have to face justice? I mean, we're saying that an injustice happened, and it did. The, the everyday person that participated in this should definitely have to bear uh, some responsibility for their behaviors, but also those among the elites. I mean, a coup, they tried to, uh, a coup took place. Uh, they tried to just totally dismantle democracy. So are any of the people with the fancy titles going to be brought to justice? You're talking about the president. The president of the United States and anybody else in his cabinet or around him that had any knowledge of this should be held accountable. Well, on that note, Alyssa, if I may, um, one of the questions that we've been asking since these hearings started is whether or not the committee can prove intent, whether the president intentionally uh, tried to overturn the election, knowing that he actually lost. You, he told you in November of 2020 that he lost when you were working in the he, White House. He admitted he blurted out watching Joe Biden on TV. Can you believe I lost to this guy? And he actually admitted in a press conference when he was speaking to the um, about coronavirus in the press briefing room, he actually slipped and kind of admitted that Joe Biden won. I think intent is going to be hard. I'm not of the mind that this is going to take down Donald Trump in a legal sort of way, but I do think it's going to inform the public about a man who lost and couldn't do what we've done for the entirety of our history, which is, you know, allow a peaceful transition of power and allow who the voters elected to step into to office. Hey, Dana, if it went, went... I just want to say the voters didn't elect him. Okay, that's number one. Number two, they know they can't nail it on him because they know that the ones that they were hooking on to bring proximity to them failed. Bitcoin wallets failed, completely failed. So now they're hoping that they can get him on 25th Amendment or demonize um, people who say that the elections were stolen as terrorists. Kind of like what they're doing with the school boards, you know, where everyone's like, wow, we're taking it back. What? You're killing our CRT. You're ruining our plan. How are we going to go back into the, the, the good old days of Nimrod, of a one world order? If you're not listening and you're telling us that you have rights over your kid, time to put in those laws. FEMA, you take over. When we say that the parent is a biohazard, you take the kids. Oh, look, natural disaster. For the good of your kid, we're collecting all of them. You can see them later after the hurricane. All of these things are playing out because they're desperate because they just lost. But they're going to lose really hard now. Now is where the pain really starts. Like I said August is going to be insane. 
Lots of pain for both sides. Because unfortunately, and no matter how much I say this, people can't be patient. People can't stick to the paper, to the pen, to the rule of law. So this weekend I went so I can go see Lara Logan and met with her. And I went there. Um, I even saw Steve Hertzberg. I, 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 this guy is just incredible. Like we've communicated many times over the, over the years, actually, believe it or not, obviously as whistleblower under another name, but as my name too. And this guy is the OG of election integrity from a bipartisan perspective, meaning there are people that are on the left that actually want fair elections, but they have no idea that they're stolen. Now they're starting to see it because even though they're on the left, they're like, yeah, I don't think that Biden won. I mean, that's really iffy. Turn that shit off at night, then redo it. You know, so he's bipartisan and, you know, he gave some tools and everything anyway. So I wanted to see him. But while I was there, let me explain it to you how there how this is going to pan out. Because I see it in your state groups, too, but it's none of my business. You guys do your own shit. So every state has a group. Ohio even has a group. I'm totally not really active in it um, because it's not my group. It's the people's group. Right. And so this one chick literally came like into my space, like while I was having a conversation to to get upset, saying that I'm kicking people out of the Ohio group that's apparently from Tori says because they're joining her group. I'm like, girl, you're nuts. I don't do shit like that. I don't get involved with the groups. Well, no one's joining our group. And she then said, well, how are your letters and your lawsuits going? We're going to fix this. And it's like, if you're making progress, that's great. But the thing is, is that they're extremists. Well, one of them is. One of them said something that was a red flag. Kind of KKK-ish, right? like really extremist. And so I kind of, it kind of like put me off, but I'm like, you know, maybe it was like a, you know, a Dave Chappelle moment. Right. But on the other side, so I'm going to let it slide. But these people are the people that are so the cognitive dissonance is huge. You're talking about the left losing their mind, right? The right is also losing their mind. They can't fathom that they have been duped by the GOP, that they're like, oh, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And it's like, you're not going to fix something. That's part of the other thing, too. That's It's insanity. That is literally the definition of insanity. Doing something over and over again and expecting a different result. So when you see people that have this lapse of ability to actually see and they lose their mind over the fact that they've been duped all this time or that they have this need to identify with something. If I'm not part of a party, if I'm not part of a team, then I'm no one. That's how they feel. Rather than say, you know what? I'm with all Americans. I'm with all the people, whatever color they are, size, you know, how long their nails are, how tall they are. Like, I don't care. We, we want hot dogs, baseball, burgers, Americana and our constitution. We have four constitutions. We're only going to talk about the OG constitution. So this is where we should be. 
So if the left is losing their mind, you should see the right. And boy, they want blood and they will have it. Because there are people that don't know when to just sit there and say, all right, I was duped. That's okay. I'm okay with that. See, that's what adults do or people that understand that being duped, being betrayed or failing is okay, right? Because that teaches you what not to do again, what not to repeat. Now, if you do something and then you do it again, then it's your fault. Nobody else's. But it's going to be very, very difficult for all of us to have a unified voice when we give them the ammo to do this because people have lost their minds. Like guys, this, this girl was like in my face. I told her repeatedly, can you like leave me alone? Like you're in my space. And then she came even closer. And then she was just being like rude. You're ugly. You're stupid letters in your lawsuits. And it's like, so what are you going to take arms? Is that what you're going to do? What, what, what are you going to do? Kill people? That's extremism, right? When you start, what What are you going to do? Go beat people up? Like you're coming to me because no one wants to play with you? Like they're not playing with me. They're playing with each other, right? The group is working together, right? Gr- work Working together. Tori just happens to be in that state, right? That's it. So again, within all your groups and within your community, there are people just like that. That will tell you, we should go get arrested. We should go protest. Let's take our arms and do an armed protest. Yeah, because only feds won't turn up. And then only feds will throw the shot. And then everyone will get trigger happy. And they'll get exactly what they want. Help from outside. Call the people. Take your kids so they can be saved because it's a man-made disaster. You know how that works. This is what you have to be careful of. Because this is what they want. And they're telling you this. Everyone's insane. Trump is a problem. He privately said he lost the election. No, he said, I can't believe I lost to him, which is true. I don't either. Allow a peaceful transition of power and allow who the voters elected to step into to office. Oh, and on top of that, when we're talking about peaceful transition, let's remember Barack Hussein Obama, who created a presidential transition team that withheld information from President Trump, that withheld all that information because of Russia collusion and didn't give him proper transition because Obama made that decision. How was that a peaceful transition? They need to shut up and, you know, they need poopery. Because their poop stinks more than anything else that they're saying now. One of two things that are really striking to me. One, uh, the last couple of weeks, his circle of, of, of advisors shrunk dramatically. Barr, Ivanka, Jared, others were gone. So the people that he was getting advice from, they, they just weren't giving him good advice, number one. And I was shocked. And, and Vice President Pence and I were very, very close. When I was an ambassador in New Zealand, he was my go-to guy. I worked exclusively with him all, all the time. I have a tremendous amount of respect. The fact that people were 40 feet from him and potentially were going to hurt or kill him, uh, that's what shocked me the most out of everything that I've learned out of these hearings. I want to turn back to the economy. And Nina, the president, Joe Biden, did an interview uh, last week with the AP. And on the question of a recession, here's what he said. First of all, it's not inevitable. Secondly, we're in a stronger position than any nation in the world to overcome this inflation. Um, you live in the real world, in the yeah. Midwest. <laughs> I mean, we may be in a stronger position than any other country in the world, but the people in this nation right now are hurting. The confluence of the pandemic, 
the confluence of this inflation and quite frankly, the cavalier attitude that many in the elites have about the suffering of everyday people in hoods all around this country, whether they're rural hoods, urban hoods or suburban hoods, this is real. I mean, look, the gas prices in California, for example, are higher than the federal minimum wage. Mm. In my state of Ohio, gas prices are over $5 a gallon and don't need premium because if you need premium, even in Ohio, you're paying almost $6. There are things that can be done. You know, I was talking to stratification economist, Dr. Derek Hamilton, who was saying that we understand that inflation at some points are, you know, is, is, will happen. But what will we do as a nation to drive down the level of pain that people are feeling in this country when they can't afford their food, they can't afford gas? You got to go to work, but you can't afford the gas. There are things that can be done. The Fed can actually be a lender, too. The mm -hmm. Fed can jump in here. They can do more than just increase uh increase rates they can actually jump in here and do something so more has to be done and she's doing actually i agree with everything you just said uh my daughter is expecting uh, the whole baby formula thing they knew or should have known it's mm -hmm. the whole supply chain issue uh the fed uh raising interest rates inflation stop spending i thank god for joe manchin because but not for him we would have oh, been in a worse Senator, situation we're not gonna thank god for yeah we manchin. are because this is not about listen spending. when i this when, when i was there when issue. i respectfully when it, i was there it was nine trillion dollar national debt we're at 30 trillion dollars you can't keep spending and spending and spending and expect we have, we have 20 we have 20, we have 20 seconds left audio i want to get get you back in uh excellent messenger right here i don't know if biden needs a matthew mcconaughey type to come out and start talking about the economy <laughs> remember he was obama's number two obama was the messaging person there so i think this is going to be complicated to find something get the fuck out of here let me tell you something what happened so with obama the corporations were in check they were a little bit upset that the democrats said listen to make this plan work here's what you guys got to do you got to raise wages and they're like nah man we don't have enough money trump comes in everyone loves trump corporations freaking love him even though they voted him out because they thought that they were going to win so what happens is Trump cuts all these regulations and everyone has so much money in their pocket. These corporations are like banking it. And the Democrats are like, listen, you're going to make a lot of money right now with COVID for you big corporations that are on our side and you're going to fund the shit out of us. Now, everyone else will need jobs afterwards. We're going to fix it because they're going to be asking you for more money. We'll reduce that. We'll increase technology. And don't worry, we won't have that many workers anyway. That's exactly what happened. So they got a taste of all that money. And then suddenly COVID happened, no employees. And then employees are like, yeah, you want me to work as a dishwasher, $18 an hour, or else I'll just stay and collect these payments that Biden's giving me now. And I don't have to pay rent. And now it's all coming back because they're like, all right, the corporations got the deal. We got funded. We got people in place. They're going to fix it like this. I'm going to make a deal. Remember, your attorney generals have meetings every year, the RAGA, the DAGA, all of them. They get courted by all these big cor corporations. They're all in it. GOP, DNC, they're the one in the same, and they're looking to establish themselves. Trump threw a wrench in it. But remember, I said it starts in Ohio, but the Lone Star State is really going to take this home. Remember when I said the Lone Star, the Lone Star, right? The Lone Star. I said this a long time ago. Long time ago. Here's what the Lone Star, Star State, one of the two things that they're doing. I mean, they're even examining the secede. Why not? They're like, fuck that. 
we got enough in Texas. Here we go. About Texas for a moment, where Trump's election line just got a step closer to becoming an official part of the Republican platform. Again, this happened in Texas this weekend at the GOP convention in Houston. Let's go to CNN politics reporter and editor at large, Chris Saliza. Chris, walk us through this. Yeah, Anna. So first to note, the Texas Republican Party had not met formally in a convention setting since 2018. I guess they made up for lost time. All right. So let's let's just start with some of what is in the Republican platform that was approved this weekend. Uh, quick note, all this stuff has to be formalized later, but we expect that it will be. OK, first of all, it approved a measure that Biden was not legitimately elected. This is I'm, I'm going to write this because it's important. Not true. Uh, my mom is going to yell at me for my poor penmanship, but that says not true. Uh, they rebuke the 10 GOP senators who have backed the bipartisan gun reform bill, obviously still talking about what the text will look like, what they'll do. But th that includes uh, right here. That includes John Cornyn of uh, Texas. I'm going to get back to him. And they declared homosexuality an abnormal lifestyle choice. That's some of what they did in terms of the platform. So look how they threw in the homophobia. Look how they threw in the home. First of all, it is true. He was not legitimately elected. And that is all going to be coming out. This week is going to be so fire. Oh, my God. I'm just, ooh, ooh, it's right here. I want to say it. I'm not. And then they rebuked those for the bipartisan gun. Did you see how he got booed? That's one. They will not be able, like I said, to walk down the streets. Then he gave the order not to make bullets for my AR-15. It's like orders are going in like right now. Right. And and so now they've rebuked the 10 GOP senators backing bipartisan gun gun control. Right. Done. And the declaration of homosexuality as an abnormal lifestyle choice is that they're not acknowledging a million genders. It's male and female and everything else is a life choice. That is none of our freaking business. None of our business. None of our business. Ooh. Now, here's some of what they said let's play it this is about john cornyn senator from texas and dan crenshaw member of congress from texas both republicans let's play that i did showcase cornyn i told you look at i pass mccain right here you're rhino you're globalist you're globalist rhino you're a globalist rhino. Dude, you're a globalist rhino. I pass McKay. So let's just put a little context on it. The guy screaming. Maybe that guy watches Tory says. Dan I said Crenshaw. that two years ago. I don't know if that guy who knew, knew this or not, but let's educate him. Dan Crenshaw lost his eye while serving in Afghanistan. So and McCain lost his soul while serving in freaking Hanoi. Occasionally have to endure where you saw John Cornyn. Eyes, eyes windows of the booing going on. And he's he's got that like, <laughs> please let this end smile on his face. So you can see that this speaks to the fact neither of these guys, Cornyn or Crenshaw, are, are moderates at all. And yet they're being booed. They're being cajoled. They're being uh, bullied uh, at their own party's convention. It's remarkable. And so, so much of the GOP is on this extreme end yeah. of the political spectrum. But the radicalization, if you want to call it that, isn't just happening in Texas, right? Tell us about this disturbing new campaign rhetoric from a Republican Senate candidate and former governor in Missouri. So 
I often say I've lost the ability to be totally shocked in covering politics. But when I saw this uh, video pop up this morning, I was somewhat shocked. It's Eric Greitens, who resigned in disgrace uh, in 2018 as governor amid sexual assault allegations. He's denied them, just for the record. He posted, this is the start that you're seeing. This is the start of the ad. So he's walking down what looks like like a long gun. He cocks it and says it's time to go rhino hunting. Now, he doesn't mean rhino, R-H-I-N-O. He means rhino, R-I-N-O, Republican in name only. He then, with a tactical unit by his side at a house, they bash the door down. Greitens walks in amid smoke and says, it's rhino hunting season. There's no tagging and no bagging limit, and we won't stop until we end there, you know, blah, 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 blah. Given what we've seen from the likes of Adam Kinzinger yesterday saying, look, violence is a real possibility. I've had threats made to me and my family. Given the, the rhetoric and the, the rhetoric, how it played out on January 6th, it is a remarkable thing. And most depressingly, it'll probably work and accomplish what Eric. You know, I feel bad for Chris Silza because Chris, when Obama was actually uh, put in office, he wrote his last real article. His last real article. And I feel so, you know what? Hopefully he sees this. Chris, I feel bad for you. Because you wrote an exceptional article about the first day Obama was in office. And how he put concrete boots on transparency. And then you changed. You're all for no transparency. You're all for communism and socialism. And you keep calling this a democracy. I'd like you to see that article you wrote in January of 2009 and remind yourself who you really were. End of message to Chris. Crichton's wanted. It had 850,000 views the last time I looked. It had been up for three or four hours. He'll use it to raise money. But whether it works or not doesn't mean whether it's right or not. And it's clearly not. It's time to go rhino hunting. I can't believe he said that. Chris Eliza, thank you. Thank you. For your reporting. Andrew is back with us. Ben Ginsburg's back with us. Uh, Andy McCabe, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, got a death threat sent to his house. At the top of the hour, we heard him warn that more political violence is on the way. And now you have this Missouri Senate candidate calling for, for moderate, moderate Republicans, Republicans, a.k.a. rhinos, see anything they can to remove people that want to fix things anything. They'll say that they were J6. They'll say they're threatening violence. Do you forget Maxine Waters? Do you forget freaking Spartacus? Do you forget Schumer? Ha 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 ha. Doesn't feel nice when you know that you can't walk on the street. Doesn't feel nice that you need to spend money to keep your back in check because there might be some psycho out there that's not patient with the law doesn't trust that people are actually freaking busting their ass to get this thing done in the most peaceful way without freaking people out while we have to do some work too. Yeah, it's not fun, is it? They know now. And this is why they need to label you a domestic terrorist. This is why they're moving that needle that way. Hmm. You see, the panic is real. These are death rattles right now, you guys to be hunted. How concerning is this moment and how can the federal government address that kind of dangerous rhetoric when it comes from prominent politicians? Well, you know, I think you used the perfect word earlier when you referred to it as radicalization. That's what we're seeing here. It just so happens to be taking place not uh, in a foreign terrorist organization or among a a fringe uh, right-wing group. It's actually taking place in a major political party 
Republican, you saw the, the video from the Republican convention in, in Texas, and now you have this, uh, Eric Greitens is running for office as Republican. It's, um, it's not just the congressman who's warned that political violence is likely. We got a similar warning from the Department of Homeland Security just a week ago, and it is well known that extremists use these sorts of perceived grievances uh, to fuel the hatred and the anger that ultimately erupts in acts of violence. So um, for po- people in, or maybe I should say formerly in uh, positions of public trust and in politics, like the former governor, to say things that would appear to be encouraging violence or the hunting of political uh, opponents is just unbelievably dangerous and irresponsible. What can you do about that rhetoric? Very, very little. That rhetoric is protected as First Amendment protected speech um, in in this country. So it's it's really up to people to be responsible and to temper their own rhetoric, which seems to be something uh, that no one's doing anymore. Well, and I'm thinking about the videos we've seen now at a couple of these hearings where you hear directly from insurrectionists saying, I came here because... Trump told me to come. Right. So people are listening to these politicians and are, are taking their cues from them. How dangerous, Ben, is it that Trump's false election conspiracy is about to become the official platform of the GOP in Texas? Well, it's very disturbing that, that this is happening. You know, um, it's a time when the Republican National Committee itself should say it is not appropriate to have uh, state parties or gubernatorial candidates uh, saying such things. Now, I've been to Texas Republican conventions. Uh, they are a spirited group, and they do not represent, uh, even today, the mainstream of the Texas Republican Party. Wait, did he just say that there needs to be a unified statement on um, what the GOP should stand for? You mean like they did in Ohio? You mean like they did in Michigan? You mean like they did in Pennsylvania? You mean, you mean, you mean, you mean, you mean? We need to silence them. Why is the GOP not spanking him into place? You forget Texas was the state that brought the first lawsuit against another state. You don't mess with Texas. It's the Lone Star state for a reason. John Cornyn and Dan Crenshaw are the elected officials, and they got there by by getting elected, uh, which nobody in that convention did. In terms of Greitens, selected the Republican national leadership uh, knows that it would be bad for Republicans to have Greitens as the nominee and Mitch McConnell's super PAC and, and other than other national groups are backing other candidates in hopes that Greitens um, does get defeated. But, but the we'll larger see. point is that Donald Trump's rhetoric has caused an uptick in violence, as, as Andy said, that is absolutely 100 percent right, really disturbing Donald Trump had his day in court. He lost all but one of the 64 cases he brought. Um, Regarding the election fraud claims, right. Yeah, with the election fraud claims. And to continue with the rhetoric when he couldn't produce evidence and couldn't win in court uh, puts the country in a really bad place. Ben Ginsburg and Andrew McCabe, I really appreciate your discussion, your thoughts today. Thank you so much. Ah, Andy, who didn't get his pension, who's really upset. Now, On that note, you guys, before I let you guys go, I want you to pay attention that um, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, 
she's been coming into the focus, going out and having speeches. It's really important because I did showcase her and where she was. And all the loyal Obama cronies will be applauding everything she says. Remember that. Because when they find out where this um, leak is coming from, it's going to be quite interesting. They've been trying to get rid of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas for a long, long time. And they need him out. Because I think it was Kavanaugh and Justice uh, Clarence Thomas that said, we would really like to take a look at, uh, you know, the election fraud. But we don't have any case that has standing where we can see the facts as they are. Well, it's June. Have faith. God bless. Oh, oh, oh.